All right, good morning, 930 Journey Church. How you guys doing? Good. Somebody's excited about root beer. Hope you're just as excited about Jesus. All right. We're going to continue our series called Won't You Be My Neighbor. So get your Bible out or your notes or whatever you use, and uh, we're going to pray and get going. God, we thank you so much for your presence that we feel just day to day. God, I thank you so much that that you love us so much that you would send your son, give your life for us. Help us to never get used to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're going to, today is Father's Day, and so uh, we're going to kind of talk about that. How many of you guys heard about this this group of guys? There were about 50 guys, they're in their 20s, and they're from Spokane, Washington in 2017. They were having an event, and they really, what they did is they put out a Craigslist ad to rent a dad, okay? There's an actual Craigslist. Go ahead and put it up. It's an actual Craigslist ad. They, they, they just picked a random picture off the internet, a guy that, that is actually obviously a real guy. And, uh, and they, they, so basically they're throwing a barbecue event and they, they say, here's the duties, grilling hamburgers and hot dogs whilst drinking beer, uh, bringing your own grill. Those subject to change will provide all the meat. Refer to all attendees as big guy. <laughs> Chief, sport, champ, whilst drinking beer. Um, talk about dad things like lawnmowers and building your own deck, and it just goes on and on and on. Minimum of 18 years experience as a father, 10 years of grilling experience. I mean, it just goes, it was a real ad. I didn't, I didn't look at the fine print, so there may be something up there that's not supposed to be up there. I don't know. Uh, but but it, and this was a real deal, and it kind of went viral, and uh, they started having all kinds of responses to it. But what it just shows me is that, that even when we grow up and get out of the house, how many of you guys know that there's still a place in us that wants to have a dad around, right? It just shows you the power of when a father is in the picture, it can be extremely powerful in our lives, right? You, and m- many of you guys know the feeling of the opposite when a father is not in the picture, that that can be a powerful event in our life too. And, and I've shared this statistic before, but it is so weighty that I've got to share it again, especially on a day like today. And it's, it's this, if a woman gets saved, there's a 23% chance that the family will follow Christ. If a dad gets saved there's a 92% chance the family will follow Christ. That's not to say anything about wives or women. That's, that's simply to say the power of a father carries so much weight to it. So much weight. And, and as, as boys, how many of you guys in the, in the room, you, there was some point in your life where you found yourself as a boy trying to imitate your father. Anybody? And, and good or bad, right? And, uh, and maybe if you have sons, you've seen that happen where whatever you're doing, they want to do. Do you realize that even the Son of God did that? Jesus imitated the Father. In fact, we see this in John chapter 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does... That the son does likewise. Do you realize that the son of God imitated his father too? And and what I want us to catch today is is somewhat of recapturing the father's heart. Because I think it's so important. 
Because sometimes in the natural, how many of you guys in the natural, and I'm just speaking to men here just for a second, but in the natural, as you begin to grow older, there, usually in the teenage years, there's some part of you that starts to want to grow away from the way your dad was. Some of that is good, and maybe some of that is bad, but there's a temptation to try to, well, I'm not going to be like that, you know. But you realize in the spiritual, sometimes there's a temptation, or maybe I should say it in a different way, that sometimes we drift away from the way our Father is. And what used to be a core part of our DNA, what used to burn deep in our heart, somehow we, we look and one day we've, we've gone away from the DNA of our Father. And so I want to bring us back to that idea and just touch on a few things about our Father's heart. And I believe that it's so important for us to do that. And when I thought about that, it reminded me of this story that I've taught on many times. But it's about a guy named Nehemiah. How many of you guys have heard of Nehemiah? Nehemiah, in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, the book Nehemiah, verse 4, it says this. And this is Nehemiah talking. He says, as soon as I heard these words. Now, we'll address what these words were. But he's like, I heard some news. I sat down. I wept. And mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. What kind of news would you have to hear? That when it fell upon your ears, you would go into fasting. You would go into weeping. And you would go into mourning for days and days and days. Now, I know we've, we've got a spectrum in the building. So, again, I'll just talk to the guys. Some of the guys in the room are, you know, are criers. Okay? Some of you guys are. That's okay. Uh, it's okay. You can own that. And that's, that's good. I'm not saying that's bad. Some of you guys are not criers. That's good. That's fine. You can own that too. I'm like not a crier. And I'm thinking about putting myself in Nehemiah's shoes. And I'm like, what would it take to move me that deeply? Now, I will tell you that the only time that I really do get emotional like that is when I'm in the presence of God. In fact, I'll, I'll just tell you this morning as the worship team was warming up here and they were singing that song, His Grace So Free. I, I come down here every, you guys don't know this because a lot of you guys aren't in here, but I'll come and I'll pray through the chairs. I'll come and I'll, I'll spend time down here at the altar just praying before the, the service. And as I walked into this, this moment when they were singing that song, I was just overwhelmed with the presence of God. But I asked myself, what would it take for me to not just have a moment of weeping, not just a moment, but for it to last for days? And, and I remember being a kid, and that some of you guys will, will uh, resonate with this, like sometimes like your parents would say something like, like, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about, right? <laughs> you know that's not good, whatever's next, right? So I'm asking, like, what did Nehemiah have to cry about? What is this news? And Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, and here's the news. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. He hears that news, and boom, it's over. It's about 445 B.C. you got to understand Nehemiah and a lot of people have been taken out of their homeland into a different location, into Babylon. And while they're, they're gone, the place of their homeland, their spiritual heritage has been broken down. The walls have burnt down. The people are left defenseless. And when Nehemiah hears about this, he breaks down and he goes into a weep. 
<laughs> for four months. That's a long time. That's devastating news. Now, here's the strange thing about the story. The news was 140 years old. The walls had been broken down for 140 plus years. What had happened? Nehemiah let something that was familiar hit him in a brand new God way. And something that had been known for a long time, something that they had been aware of in some way, shape, or form, that the walls had been broken down for some time. All of a sudden, what was familiar became brand new in a God way. And my hope today is that maybe something that has been familiar to us, and what I'm talking about is the brokenness of people all around us. We can become so callous to our Jerusalem. We can become so callous to the broken people, but I can tell you this, the Father's heart sees them right now. And, and maybe you're here in this place and, and everything's going great and it's Father's Day and all this. I don't want to make it heavy, but this is kind of a heavy, weightier message that I think God has given me. Because I think the heart of God is so strong for people and it's so easy for us to lose sight of his heart for people. And so for Nehemiah, it wasn't about a broken wall. For Nehemiah, it was about a broken people. And I just wonder if, if for us today, you know, it's God's mission is to rescue, restore, and rebuild people back into the image of God. I wonder sometimes if our heart has grown cold away from the DNA of our Father. So what I want to do is just to call us back to that, to remind us of what the Father's heart is, you know. Because here's the thing. Sometimes we, we hear about broken people, and what we do is we find, we, we want to help, but we end up just throwing things towards broken people or writing checks to organizations that help broken people. And those things are fine. We should do that. We should give things. We should do all those things. We should support ministries. But, but here's what happens. Whenever we get into a position like that and we get into a mode like that, what we're doing is we're trying to check off a box of guilt to say, I want to help people, but how I'm going to do it is I'm going to do it in a way that's detached from relationship with people. And if I can write a check, or if I can just go and serve one moment and then pull myself back out. Listen, and all those things, we should do those things, but we shouldn't do them if we found a loophole in the system to help broken people while detaching our heart from them. So what I want to do is, is show a video that kind of illustrates this and how even in poverty, like sometimes in poverty, we think of poverty as just like, it's like something that we, if we had enough money in the world, we could just solve all poverty. And that's not necessarily the case. And so let's watch this. It's powerful. Most North Americans define poverty as a lack of material things. And so our solutions tend towards providing material things towards people. What's so interesting is if you ask poor people around the world the same question I asked you, what is poverty? They answer the question in very different ways than most North Americans do. Poor people around the world tend to describe their poverty in far more psychological and social terms than we do. <laughs> Why would you tell me like uh, 
broken relations. You know, and it made you feel? It make me feel down, you know. I'm there, I needed help. You know, if I didn't need help, I wouldn't come ask for help. Living in poverty, it's like sometimes the system is, is set up to you to fail. Like you can't get out of poverty. So, you know, they turn and when you can't provide for your family, it begins a frustration. So you're back in poverty, you're in this poverty mentality. It's a repeated thing. It's a repeated thing. It's a repeated thing. Especially if you do not have family or a good support system. They're ashamed, um, degraded. They feel like nothing, like they're nothing. In 2000, the World Bank conducted a study in which they asked 60,000 poor people, what is poverty? Their findings were documented in a report called Voices of the Poor. What they discovered is that while poor people certainly acknowledge a lack of resources contributing to their sense of poverty, their emotional and psychological conditions were suffering just as much, if not more. I look at it from a holistic perspective because the life of an individual has several facets. But the more I have worked with communities, the more I have seen poverty deeply intertwined in people's relationships. And therefore it is not complete, for example, to say that uh, a person is only wealthy if they have finances. That basic disconnect between how we think of poverty is a lack of material things and how they think of poverty is at the root of the crisis that we're trying to address. We've got to get the diagnosis right. So the point is that the heart of God is about relationships. The heart of God is about people. And we can't detach ourselves from people. Because that's God's heart. And that brings us back to our story, our central story in this whole series. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 29, that the lawyer's asking Jesus, he's like, well, you know, what am I supposed to do? Well, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor. And he says, but he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, then who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied by telling him this story that we've heard. It says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance there was a priest that was going down the road and when he saw him he passed by the other side and likewise a Levite when he saw him he passed by the other side. But a Samaritan as he journeyed he came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion. See there's a problem that the priest and the Levite were doing the work of God without the heart of God. There's a huge problem when we're doing the work of God without the heart of God. And that's what this, this story illustrates. See, our heart needs to be broken by the things that break the heart of God. It reminds me of this story of this guy who invited his neighbor to church, and he went to church with him that day. And on the way home, the, the new guy you know, said to the guy who, who was taking him to church, he said, I see you, you hired a new preacher. He's like, yeah, we, we fired the last guy. He said, well, why did you fire the last guy? Well, because the last guy kept telling us that if we didn't repent, we were going to hell. <laughs> and the, the, the neighbor said, well, but the new guy said the same thing today. And he said, yeah, but the old guy seemed to be happy about the situation. <laughs> he said, but the new guy, it seemed to break his heart when he said it. See, our heart needs to be broken for people. Not just for getting things done, but for people. And so, what happens when we look at other people? 
Because sometimes we look at other people and all we see is their problems. But I can tell you this, some people saw problems, but Jesus saw people. He saw past the problems. Because it's easy for us to stereotype people by their problems, isn't it? It's easy for us to stereotype what somebody's going to be like, what somebody's going to do by their problems. One example of this, I came across this this week, is how many of you guys have heard of this, this, uh, this whole uh, idea of why women live longer than men? How many of you guys have heard of that before? Seen some pictures of that on the internet this week? Go ahead and show examples. Look at this guy. He just needs a TV. <laughs> Every guy needs a big screen TV. You got to figure it out one way or the other. Let's throw up another one. I love the double forklift attempts. <laughs> you, for these guys, where there's a will, there's a way. We're going to get it done. All right, put up another one. This, example, this guy's in a wood chipper. I'm sure he's fixing something. Okay, <laughs> the next one. How many of you guys did this as a kid? Yes. Let's do it again. That's awesome. All right, another one. I have no idea what's going on right here. I don't know if this is Photoshopped. I have no idea where this is at. But uh, yeah, okay, next one. Yeah, this guy's cutting down a tree. <clears throat> if you look closely, you see the problem. I don't know how many more we have going on. This is the last one. This guy's changing a light bulb. This guy's got a safety first sign while driving down the road. And then I love the trampoline dude. And the reason I love the trampoline dude is because I saw a trampoline dude this week. I passed him on the highway. He's got a trampoline, a full trampoline, driving down the road where I live, which is narrow, by the way. And uh, it was awesome, right? But, and so it's, it's easy for us, though, and that's, that's funny. And there's always some truth to that because sometimes we do crazy things. But isn't it easy to stereotype, like, all guys as being, like, over-the-top crazy and doing crazy things, right? Like, it, and you stereotype a whole group of people. You realize we can do that in so many other areas. We can stereotype people by their addictions, by their problems, by their location, by their situation. When Jesus, see, some people saw problems, but Jesus saw people. Sometimes we, we look at people like Jesus. He came across this woman at the well who had had like five or six guys in her life, right? Sometimes we look at a person like that and it's like, well, there's a project. That's going to be a lot of work. Turn that around. Some people see projects. Jesus sees people. Some people, let's just get real. We live here in the United States of America. We look over at a third world country. And some people, when you look at a third world country, what you see is poverty. Do you realize what the Father sees? We cannot label people by their issues. We have to see them through the eyes of God. We have to take the lens off and stop seeing people through their situations and see them as people. And, and that's what happened in Luke chapter 10, verse 33 in our story. But the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had, what's the word? Compassion. What do you think of, this is important, what do you think of when you hear the word compassion? Because sometimes we think of compassion as kind of touchy-feely, maybe it's a weak type word. Do you realize what the actual definition of compassion means? The actual definition means this, to have the bowels yearn. <laughs> Happy Father's Day right there. 
I don't know what that's about. It literally means to move. Here's what it means. <laughs> it literally means to be moved so much that your insides hurt. That you are hurting so much that something about you moves on the inside. At the very core of who you are. It's not a weak word. It's a costly word. Don't mistake compassion for emotions or feelings. Here's what compassion does. Compassion moves you to do something. Let me say it in a different way. Compassion moves you towards people. And the Samaritan was moved when he saw the broken man. He didn't see problems. He didn't see a project. He didn't see poverty. He saw the person. And he's like, I'm a, I, I cannot not help. Something about him was moved. We see this in Jesus too. Matthew chapter 13. So now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there. Now, what, again, we're going to look at this. What did Jesus, Matthew chapter 14, sorry. When, it says when Jesus heard this, what did he hear? We'll look at what he heard in just a second, that caused him to want to go away from everybody. How many of you guys ever want to just be by yourself, right? That's what's going on with Jesus. He heard news. He wants to withdraw. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot and from the towns. And when he was ashore, he saw the great crowd. And look at this word. He had what? Compassion. In other words, when Jesus, when he saw them, he was moved so much on the inside that he's like, I have to do something. And it moved him, and, and he didn't, it wasn't about seeing them through their sickness. It wasn't any of that. He saw through it all and saw the person, and he was moved by compassion. So I want to talk about compassion and give you a couple things that I believe compassion does, and this is really the Father's heart. Number one, compassion moves us out of our comfort. Compassion moves us out of our comfort. Do you realize you've been saved from sin, but you've been saved unto a calling? Every single person here. It's not like somebody gets saved and, and God's like, well, that person doesn't have much to offer. That person just going to have to wait it out till heaven. No, every single person here. That means we're supposed to have compassion. That's the heart of God. That means we're supposed to be moved to something. But how many of you guys know we're all, how many of you guys want to be compassionate, right? I want to be compassionate. But all of us are compassionate generally until it competes with our comfort. Is uh, thinking of, of just kids on Father's Day, and, and how many of you guys, you can honestly say you love your kids. How many of you guys have young ones in the house right now? You have young ones in the house. All right. And so you want to provide for them. You want to help. So you put them to bed. You tell them a bedtime story. You're, you're doing all of that. And, and then you get, you get settled in. Maybe you're watching a movie or something, and you hear them cry off in the next room. And so you rush in there because you want to help. You're moved with compassion to help solve the problem. Until about the 13th time in the night. <laughs> right? Because again, we all want to be compassionate until compassion competes with our comfort. You see, compassion is really challenged when our comfort level dissipates. <laughs> and that's how you know how much compassion you actually have. And so it's easy to have compassion when it's not costing us anything. So what was this news that Jesus heard that made him want to get away? Here's what it was. 
Matthew, it says, And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and he had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And the disciples came and took the body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. Jesus had just heard that his cousin and the guy who baptized him, his person and friend in ministry, had just died. And so he wanted to be by himself. But in the midst of wanting to be by himself, he saw people in need. And out of compassion, he moved, and even though it cost him something, he moved into their world. This is a picture of Jesus. He is compassion. Number two is this. Compassion moves us beyond our people. What do I mean by that? I see all over the internet. I see, in, I hear in conversations like, well, these, like somebody will put up something like, my people. These are my people. You know, this is, and I've heard, these are my people. And it's good to have your people. Okay, it's good to have your people. But do you realize what compassion does? It moves you beyond your people. The Samaritan was moved beyond his people. God is calling us to be moved beyond. There, and, and throughout all the centuries, Christians have done crazy things to move beyond their people, their circles. Do you realize that some Christians throughout the ages have sold themselves into slavery so that they could preach the gospel to slaves. Wow, I, I don't even know what to do with that. But to say, I am moved so much that something on the inside of me cannot not help. I have to do this. Now, again, we have wealth here and we live in the suburbs and we have kind of our world. So what is it that moves us beyond this? Again, it's not, sometimes we're tempted to see other people through the eyes of, of lack or through the eyes of their situation. But the heart of God is all about relationships. And that's what I, I'm going to show you another video, but it's talking about poverty and it, it applies to that. But I want you to understand it. the same idea applies to anybody who's broken or anybody that we need to have compassion on. So watch with that in mind. More than 47 million Americans live without health coverage. According to the New York Times, rates increased in 46 states over the course of the economic recession. We have seen a deterioration of, of, of political discourse. Students are feeling like they're ill-prepared for the world after high school. We as teachers have failed them. We as a system have failed them. They've been victimized by, by racism, and they have been marginalized and sidelined, and their education has not uh, helped them to get out, and their hope has burnt low, so that for them there is a conditioned hopelessness. That is a deep poverty of spirit. One of the problems in contexts like this are that people don't have a self-belief from within that things can get better. Partly because they have been told that in their socialization process. Uh, partly because the government keeps on saying that Kibeda people are poor. So that sinks deeply within an individual. And therefore, once you believe it, so it is. I think poverty to me is um, a sense of hopelessness that no matter what you have around you, there's something inside of you that feels like you're 
alone. Uh, it's maybe misery without company. It's, it's feeling like you're, you're trapped in a situation and things are not going to get better. And any moment that somebody loses that sense of being important in life, then what I realize somebody feels useless. And once you feel useless, definitely you will need to do the much that you, how you can have in your potential. You'll undermine yourself, you think you're useless, you may think. You don't deserve even to be part of where you belong. You know, a staff member in Rwanda walked into a savings group we have in rural Rwanda and asked people to define poverty themselves. One person out of 10 mentioned anything to do with material or physical poverty. The other 90% of the answers had to do with a, an emotional consequence of that poverty. I feel shame. I feel incapable. I feel like there's things blocking me from moving forward in life. We can address the one problem in 10 that people are telling us that they have. When they say they have lack, we can say, hey, here's some money. Here, this solves your, your lack of money. But we won't have addressed the 90% of the problem that they really feel. I think it's a bit like an iceberg. Chop off the top, you still got the 90% under the water that's the real issue. And the, the same is true with people. If you're not addressing that deeper issue that's under the surface, it's not immediately apparent, you're not really addressing the situation. And the same is true, I mean, you can insert poverty, but you can insert many other different things. We cannot detach from relationship. We cannot detach. How many of you guys know Jesus said, love your neighbor, right? For some of us, it's easier to love our near neighbor than it is to love our far neighbor. For some of us, it's easier to love our far away neighbor than it is our near. The fact of the matter is Jesus loved all types of people. He, helped, he went and entered into their world into relationship with all types of people, tax collectors, sinners, uh, prostitutes, uh, beggars, Samaritans, men, women, children. And he, it cost him. And he calls us to the same. Mark chapter 1, verse 40 is a great example. It says, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. He says, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Now, you guys know, know leprosy is like this flesh-eating disease. No one wanted to be near people who had this. They quarantined them off. But here's what a disciple of Jesus does. A disciple of Jesus touches people that no one else will touch. Enters into the pain of people that no one else will enter. Enters into relationship, and, and not detachment, but enters into relationship that, no one, that the society says is, is too far gone. And we see this with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him. He said, I am willing, be, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. See, every single person, no, no matter their issue, no matter their problem, no matter what they're struggling in externally, all the symptoms... Down deep, every single person wants to be loved, wants to be loved unconditionally. Even when we're bad, how many of you guys still want to be loved, right? Even when you screw up, you still want to be loved. It's a need God put in there. And it's so deep that when I was, I was a youth pastor for several years, and let me tell you, I came in contact with young people, with teenagers who would threaten suicide, who would attempt suicide on multiple occasions, and as I would sit down and I would talk with them and I would talk with the parents, and sometimes I would enter right into the, to the, the moment when, when things were, were ugly and, and, and off the rails. And as I, I discovered, most of them didn't really want to go through with it. They just wanted to see if someone cared if they tried. 
So you could say that the opposite of love is not hate, but the opposite of love is apathy. Simply saying, I don't care. And that's why I challenge us today. How are we, when we say love your neighbor, a lot of us in this room would say, well, I don't hate my neighbor. But again, if the opposite of love is not hate, if the opposite of love is apathy, are we really loving our neighbor? Do we have the heart of God for other people? Let me tell you how strong this was in the Apostle Paul. This was so deep. Watch this. This is an incredible scripture. In Romans chapter 9, verse 1, it says, listen to how he sets this up. With Christ is my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. What is he saying? What I'm about to tell you, I'd stake. I mean, Jesus could confirm it. The Holy Spirit would put his stamp on it. I'm telling you the truth. And what he says is this. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people. My Jewish brothers and sisters, watch this. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. He's saying, I would rather go to hell myself if they could have a chance to go to heaven. I'd rather never be with God forever if they could have a chance to be with him forever. That is compassion. That's not apathy, that's love. That's the Father's heart for other people. He cared so much that he was willing to trade his own eternity if that meant that other people could go. And that's what Jesus did for us. He did become cursed. He did take our place. But he rose from the dead and he gives us this opportunity to enter into life with him. And he wants us to enter into life with other people. The last thing is this. I'm going to have the worship team come up at this point as we close. Compassion is almost always inconvenient. If you're looking for a convenient moment to exercise compassion, you most likely will not find it. You just won't. Uh, years ago, uh, we were, how many of you guys like Olive Garden? Anybody like Olive Garden? I like going and getting all the, the soups, you know, endless bowl of soups. I'm like, keep them coming. Then they look at you strange. It's like, well, don't tell me. It's endless. Because <laughs> I will try you on it, and I'll see how much money I can get out of this deal. And so... We were at Olive Garden. We were on a date. You know, you get few of those when you have kids. And so we were on a date, and the guy, like, there's a table right next to us, and I kind of looking over, and I'm, I'm like, notice, I'm like, this guy's acting kind of weird. And I finally realized, I think he's choking. I think he's choking on something. And I'm like, dude, I'm on a date. <laughs> Could you do this at a more convenient time? Because... I don't even know what to do, and I'm not going to, like, look it up right now. I'm just, I, this is my one moment on a date, right? Because compassion, it's, it's an example. Compassion is never, it never happens at convenient times when people need help. It's just not. And so the summation of the message is simply this. If you look around your life, and all you see is comfort, your people, and convenience, you may have drifted away from the Father's heart. And I, I'm convicted just like everyone else. But if we look around our life and we just see comfort, our people, 
and convenience, we may have drifted away from the Father's heart. I started off by asking, what do you think of when you hear the word compassion? I want to rephrase that. Who do you think of when you hear the word compassion? Because my hope with the message is like, a message like this is that God will bring a who. And instead of seeing their problem or their project or the poverty, that you would, all, you would see them through the Father's eyes. I recently met somebody that I'd heard a lot of things about, and, and they weren't like good things. And so I kind of have formed an opinion. And then as I met with this person, I was like, it's not the same as what I had heard. How many of you guys have ever done that before? It's like you already formed all these opinions about this person. Do you realize that sometimes we can see people through other people's words and other people's eyes instead of the Father's words and the Father's eyes? But today, let's go back to the Father's heart. Let's see him through God's eyes. That's the Father's heart. But I want you to, I want you to hear something else, too. Because just as God the Father sees these broken people not through their problems, not through their, as a project, not through their poverty, not by what they lack, not by how they miss the mark. Do you realize that that's how he sees you too? He doesn't see you through your problem today. He doesn't see you as a project that has to be fixed. He doesn't see you in what you lack. But he sees you. He sees me. And that's why when we, we sing that, that song, The Grace, So Free, I don't even know if you guys are going to do that song or not, but it's just hit me today. That that's how he sees us. And it's a good father today when you got the ultimate father. Right? Can we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment and just take a moment to let the Holy Spirit speak the who to you. And maybe if you've found, it, and really what I want us to do is I want to call us to Repentance. Because some of us may need to repent of our attitudes and our heart towards other people. And I want you to understand repentance is not just going one way and like changing our behavior and now we're going the other way. No, repentance is going one way and not just changing our behavior, but changing the way we think about what we're doing. So God changed the way we think, not just the way we treat people, but the way we think about people and the way we think about you. And for some of you, you need to hear this because there's some strong issues in your life or there are people you've, you've got to wrestle, wrestle with, like how do I love people? How do I love my neighbor? Love does not become real love until you have to choose it instead of feeling it. Love does not become real love until you have to choose love instead of feeling love. And I want you to understand that's what Jesus did for us. Because we didn't give him reasons to feel loving towards us. But he chose to love us and he went to the cross. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God, we are so thankful for that. Help us to imitate you. Help us to act like our Father, our Heavenly Father. Put that in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship one more time.